1: Lauren Lee Chen
0: and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman.
1: I'm glad you found us. I'm Aaron Fishman, joined by my usual crew, and today's episode brings on Eric Hasseltine, longtime radio play by play guy for the Memphis Grizzlies. He'll help us break down his team's underwhelming start and where we can expect them to go the rest of the season. But Eric's a fascinating guy. As a 15-year-old, he and the rest of his team made up of 15 and 16-year-olds except for one player. They went to France and Belgium for nine games for a month, and they tried to challenge the under-17 junior national team. They were booked for the tournament. Same story with the under-19 team. But the under-22 team was available, and they trounced Eric's squad, 137-29. Definitely a story that Eric, I'm sure, has told his kids and will tell his grandkids and great-grandchildren someday. Without further ado, let's delve into the discussion with Eric. First, welcome in and happy holidays, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have on another KDVS guy. I had James Ham on, also UC Davis connection, but yeah, KDVS holds a special place in my heart. But just to begin, so much we want to talk to you about the Memphis Grizzlies They've had a disappointing start. They're over 500 as of press time, but what's behind their overall regression? They don't really have many quality wins this season. Well, that's been the
0: problem. Um, you know they, they are over 500 you know at the moment, but they don't feel like that because their losses have been just so lopsided to good teams. They, they've gotten blown out by 50 by Golden State, by 37 by Oklahoma City, a team that they beat once as well. Uh, by 30 to Cleveland on opening night. But, you know, yet they beat Indiana twice and swept that season series. And they knew going into the season the first 25 games were going to be tough. And and their goal was, you know, if they said 14-11 was going to be really good, 15-10, and 10, they were going to be really excited. Well, they had a chance to be 14-11, and 11, missed an opportunity in Miami to win a game, and, and really just didn't play well in, in down the stretch other than the first – 45 minutes of that game the Grizzlies dominated in, in that in that stretch but the final three minutes it was all Miami and you know that's been the problem there's there's been no pushback when things go the wrong way and so you know double digit leads occur very quickly in second halves of games And the third quarter right. uh is hit or miss they're either you know they're either when they're winning they, they score about 27 points in the third quarter per game when they're losing they score about 19-20 so um uh, yeah. you know they went through a stretch where they lost two straight road games, one in Chicago and one in Dallas last week where they, they scored 13 in Chicago and 17 in Dallas in the third. And then they came back and beat uh, Indiana at home on the second night of a back-to-back on Saturday where they scored 26. And so you just see the difference right there. And, and that comes when they're not taking care of the ball. It's been hard to pinpoint because everybody says, well, is it because they're older? Is it because this, because of that? They just, they just kind of have had injury problems that, that haven't. Really been talked about. They they lost Costa Cupo in the off season due to free agency, and that took some size away. Their their big signing was Brandon Wright, and he really hasn't been healthy since training camp. And in fact, right. seven games into the season, he took a seat on the bench, and now just recently they they said, "All right, we got to have knee surgery," so he's out six to eight weeks. And then there's really been no other help. Their rookie big man Jarrell Martin out of LSU they really like, but they wanted. You know, they knew he needed some time to develop. He hasn't even been able to be cleared for practice until a week ago, and so now he's getting more and more time on the practice court, but that's very different than an NBA game situation. You know, they're coming along that way. Their depth uh, was hurt, and quite honestly, their big players weren't making big plays, and their shooters weren't making shots in the early part of the year. But after a 3-6 and start and really looking like things were going poorly to be where they were at, you know, after Saturday's game, you know, at at 15 and 14, it's not terrible, but it's not where they expect to be. They expect to be better. Uh, yeah, they yeah. feel like they've got a chance to pile up some wins towards the end of the calendar year and then even into the early part of January and then a really mm-hmm. long homestand. So hopefully by mid-January, they feel like they need to be seven, eight games above 500.
1: You brought up a lot of interesting points. We'll get into all of those going forward, but... The defense, I think, is a major concern. This unit has been notable for its strong defense in recent years. This year, mm-hmm. they're like, giving up a lot of points, opposing three points. It's actually near the bottom of the league. And it's just something that you're unaccustomed to seeing with regards to this team. What's happened to their grinding defense of all? Well, last year, even, they, they gave up pretty good looks at three that
0: was the way to beat them and so as the league developed uh more into a one guy in the in the middle and four guys on the perimeter situation offensively for just about every team that kind of took away some of the things that they did and you know it it father times undefeated and i hate to say it like that because these guys are still solid players but tony allen's been banged up and has basically you know kind of lost a, a little bit of his mojo early in the season he's still playing hard but maybe trying a little too hard and then uh basically having some guys that 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 aren't as as good defensively as guys you've had in previous year jeff green's a good player but he's not the defense before you made that trade um, he's more of an offensive guy that's why they made the deal uh, so you have other guys in there that uh, that aren't known for their defensive prowess, and and they got a new face in Matt Barnes that's trying to learn where he fits in in the system, and he has. And, and since he started to kind of catch on and, and really get his legs underneath them, and they've gone to a smaller lineup, Matt's played really well. He was a huge factor in their in their win over Indiana the other night, where they really didn't let Indiana back in the game at all, and Matt Barnes was a big reason why. So. They feel like the defense can get better. Um, they certainly face some of the elite teams right off the bat. You know, they've already played Golden State twice. They've played San Antonio twice. They've played Dallas twice. They've played Oklahoma City twice. They've played the Clippers. They've played the Rockets twice. These are all good teams. You know, they're going to finish up their season series with Charlotte, who's a good team this year, and Miami, who's playing well, and Indiana. Uh, they've already played Chicago, so they've played the best of the best. They haven't seen yes. some of the teams that you would think that you can pile up some wins on, but you know nonetheless they, they've they got to do a better job against those good teams they're yeah. they're not trusting each other uh at, at the way they used to they went through a similar stretch last year where they kind of lost their way and it, it became more of you know uh struggling uphill and taking deep jump shots because you're falling behind or, or not getting you know it, it's kind of a, a circular thing it's hard to It's hard to put it so you know, in this terms, basically what's happening is they're coming down, their offensive sets are not crisp. They're not solid when they're not moving the ball. So they don't get a bucket. And then they come down and give up a bucket. And next thing you know, you're down six, eight points. Well, now you're going to press offensively, and guys are getting out of position because of it. And when that happens, that's putting a lot of pressure on the defensive end. So, you know, they're better
1: defensively than they've shown for sure. Sorry to interrupt. You mentioned age. And I think, and I don't think this is fair. You can you can give me your opinion. I'd love to hear. It. But some are disappointed with Marcus All and say that he's either lost a step or he's not playing with the same intensity that he has um, in recent years. He's not really much different statistically. He's he's shooting and scoring slightly less. But I think the drop off with Randolph is more significant, particularly on the the rebounding glass. And well, you referenced it a little bit earlier. Can you touch on those two guys, uh, th- their age, and just to what extent you think the window is closing for this core? We have we want to ask more about uh, Mike Conley and his contract a little later. But mm-hmm. what's the status with th- this window closing, or, or is that kind of like a an overrated thing that people talk about?
0: No, I think that the, the the you can say the window on that group is is closing, and they need to add some new juice to the lineup, and and that's why they're hoping Jarrell Martin, their rookie, and, and Jordan Adams, their rookie from last year, can contribute. Adams has been out pretty much all season, and, and Jarrell hurt as well. But for Zach, you know, it was um, the numbers were okay; they weren't great, and they decided they needed to play with a smaller lineup because he was having trouble guarding guys on the perimeter. So. The, the the goal with the going to a smaller lineup for this team was, hey, one of either Zach or Mark are going to be on the floor at all times, but you can't have them both out there together then for extended periods. So they went that direction. The critique of Mark is somewhat fair, but I would say it's more fair to criticize him for some nights he is uber aggressive and and wants to be, you know, the, the, the lead dog, so to speak. And other nights he's so – you know, team-oriented, he feels like he needs to get other guys involved. When Mark catches, turns, and shoots from 17, 18 feet when he gets the ball on the high post or at the elbow, um, it, it's hard to stop him. And when he does that on a regular basis, he, it makes teams have to come out on him. But Mark is so basketball savvy and, and team-oriented, he doesn't want it to be all about him. But the problem is, you've paid him to make him be one of those guys. And so He's learning how to be that guy because he's never had to be that guy in his career. It's always been a one, two, three punch of, you know, Zach Randolph, Marcus Allen, Mike Conley and all of them sharing those duties. Now it's it's a lot more on Mark's shoulders, and I think he's ready and willing to kind of take that on, and, and that will turn the corner. Like you said, his numbers aren't that much different. His numbers are really, you know, a couple of points per game less and a rebound you know, or two lower, but those are numbers that can certainly come back with a couple of good weeks of action. And, you know, his field goal percentage will get up there. Now, you know, as far as Zach goes, Zach is, you know, Zach is 34 years old. And, you know, we talk about guys that, that come into the league straight out of high school or after one year of college. And we think, Oh, that's going to be great. Cause you're going to be able to prolong your NBA career. Well, I've always subscribed to the theory that, yeah, that's fine. If you're not a guy going into the middle, if you're not playing, you know, attack the rim type style like Allen Iverson did or, or Zach did, and, and a perfect example of that is Vince Carter. Vince Carter, when he first got in the league, was just reckless abandon playing above the rim, but he realized at a point in his career, hey, if I keep doing this, I'm only going to be able to play three more years, four more years at the most, and be effective. I better work on shooting from the outside, taking less contact, saving my body so I can prolong my career, and he's done that, and he's still in the league. Now, Zach's not a guy that really did that. He, he went in and, and liked to mix it up and liked to do the dirty work. So you're 19, 20 years old, and instead of getting physical with guys that are your age, your size, and, and you're probably the biggest of the group, you're going in there when he was a rookie pounding with you know guys like David Robinson, guys like Tim Duncan, guys like you know Andrew Bynum when he was in the league, these big bodies that were the great centers of the time, the, the Kimbe Matumbos and the big power forwards, they were there. And that's taken a toll. But Zach still has his moments where he really can put the team on his back. And they're just, you know, they're a little bit fewer and farther between. And so Dave Yeager's job is to now maximize his efficiency. And since his move to the bench, he's been great in terms of points per minute. He's just probably never going to be that 17 and and 10 guy again because he can't be out there 32 minutes and, and be effective on both ends of the floor. So, you know, that's the nature of the game because teams play so much faster now and you know it's a copycat league Golden State did it and did it well so a lot of teams are doing that San Antonio had switched it up so Atlanta kind of fell that and the funny thing is now San Antonio got a young big man that they can run in those high screen roles they've got a dominant wing defender in Kawhi Leonard so they went back to their old styles and they're trying to lock you down and beat you you know 96 to 88 on a regular basis and that's what they're doing so you know it's it's one of those things that you hate to see happen but as, as we all know Father Time hasn't lost a fight yet, and so he's probably not going to lose one anytime soon, and if he does, uh, we're all going to be looking for the elixir that whoever beat him uh, was drinking.
2: And Mike Conley Jr. is another player who's had his struggles this season. He's attributed that somewhat to the lane being too clogged for him to drive sometimes. What's your take mm-hmm. on that situation? And also, as we mentioned before, his contract is up after the season. And what do you see in the future for him with the Grizzlies?
0: Well, I think he's going to want to stay. Honestly, um, so the bat. He and Marcus Gasol are very close. And he said, I'm going to make sure Mark stays because if he stays, then I'm planning on staying. Of course, he's going to test the market. And, of course, you have to see what's out there. So I think he's... It, it's. I'm not going to say it's a 90, percent but I would. I would say it's above 75 percent that he's in a Grizzly uniform for another handful of years, and he gets paid well. As far as the lane being too clogged, he's got a fair point. You know, teams are just backing off when when you had the lineup of Tony Allen and Marcus Gasol and Jeff Green and Zach Randolph and and Mike Conley out there. You didn't have a lot of guys worried about the perimeter because Tony Allen's a guy that you just that's that's his Achilles heel a little bit is that that three point shot. So you back off and say. Hey, if that beats us, that beats us. Knock yourself out. That's the way the NBA defenses are designed. You got to pick your poison. Uh, Marks more of an outside guy, so he's not on the block, and so teams are just packing it in. And so Mike would get by his defender with relative ease because he's that quick. But when he gets into the lane, there's a six foot eight to six foot eleven guy defending the rim for him. So he's learned a little teardrop runner, and I think for Mike, he tried to come back bigger and stronger than he needed to be. And I think it, it was a little bit of time learning to play at the weight that he had come in at in training camp and, and the muscle that he had put on. Um, his shots were routinely long. His, uh, his quickness wasn't quite as, as good as it had used to be. And, you know, for last year, as he basically, uh, you know, was battling the, the broken orbital bone and, uh, uh, it wasn't just the facial injury against Golden State that bothered him. It was the leg injury and, and foot injury that he had sustained back in the Portland series. And, and that was more of a factory said. So he's still banged up, and, and that's part of the deal.
1: But uh, I think he'll turn the corner and, and, and find his game real quick. Since Conley was talking about the lane being too clogged because of the lack of perimeter shooting, um, I just want to talk about the Grizzlies' struggle so far in that area Chalmers was hitting threes, not so much anymore. Um, until this month, Courtney Lee, outstanding outside shooter, had not been um, at all. Jeff Dean really been struggling from deep. Matt Barnes as well. What do you think the the problem that has been with those guys from outside? And do you believe there's a remedy to fixing that? Sometimes shooters miss. And guys get in good
0: streaks and bad streaks. Courtney Lee was in a terrible streak to start the year. And last year he started in an incredible streak. For the first two months of the season, he was above 49% and among the league leaders. And, you know, he tailed off. And just like he was not going to shoot 18% all year this year, uh, he wasn't not going to shoot 40%. So he's he's found his rhythm. Matt Barnes has found his rhythm. Uh, Mario Chalmers was never a great three-point shooter. He had some years where he was good. Uh, and probably fed off LeBron a little bit. And that's a fair thing about it. He's still willing to shoot and get to the basket. So yeah, he came in like a house of fire, knocked down, I think four or five in his first game. And we were all really excited, but knew that that probably wasn't reality. They've got guys that can make it. They don't have nearly as many as other teams. Jeff Green's not a three-point shooter. He's much more of a slasher. Tony Allen's much more of a slasher. Uh, Matt Barnes will shoot the three, but he's not a dead eye like a Kyle Korver. However, as of late, he's been really good over the last 10 games. He's been around 45%. Mike Conley, if he gets that rhythm back, he'll be a weapon there. Courtney Lee becoming the weapon that we need him to be um, on the perimeter. And so those three guys can kind of hold that down. But make no bones about it. They can make a deal and get a guy that can shoot in. They did. They did in that Chalmers trade also get a young man from Long Beach State named James Ennis that they feel like can knock down corner threes. But it's it's a matter of getting him comfortable in this scheme and comfortable what they do defensively before they can put him out there on a regular basis offensively.
2: Previous years, the rotations for the Grizzlies have been relatively stable. But this year, it seems like Dave Yeager is experimenting a lot more with who's starting, who's mm-hmm. coming off the bench. How well have those experiments worked so far? And also, how would you assess Dave Yeager's job security right now if the Grizzlies keep continuing on this road
0: well any coach will tell you they're only as good as their next performance so we can we'll talk about that part first but um, uh, we've been informed by a lot of people or at least uh, I have that that he's not in real danger and everybody's going to speculate because the team's not performing and you know you look in the Western Conference standings they're right there in the playoff picture and they're like I said, heading into a stretch of games where they feel like they can pile up a bunch of wins, uh, you know they're gonna they they played they're gonna play Philadelphia. They're gonna play Washington in Washington, second night of a back to back. But a team that's really struggling without Bradley Beal and quite honestly came in to Memphis and the Grizzlies just dominated them. Moved the ball. Their defense was completely non-existent. And the Grizzlies feel like they still owe them one from last year. There was a little, you know little incident last year that, that didn't sit well with the Grizz. They they went to Washington. It was part of a long, long stretch of games that they were going through in the second half. And, you know, honestly, Dave Yeager pulled a Greg Popovich, and he sat his almost his entire starting lineup in a game in Washington, D.C. on national television, and John Wall said he felt that that was disrespectful, that the Grizzlies weren't that good, and, and you know, made his bones about it, and he certainly had to his opinion, but the Grizzlies remembered that. So, uh, they they found a way to really do a good job defensively switching in that game. And so, you know, moving forward after that, you got Charlotte after the Christmas holiday, you've got the Lakers uh, coming in. You've got Miami, a team that you really were in complete control of until the final three minutes of the game. So you feel like you could really get on a roll here before you open the new calendar year with a, a three game road trip. And then I think seven games at home or six games at home after that. So the job security thing, I think, too often in professional sports, the, the first thing you do is, oh, it's not going the way you want it, fire the coach. Well, you know, they said that at University of Tennessee once and let Phil Fulmer go on football, and they've never seen the same success. They've said that in Sacramento once about Rick Adelman and have never seen the same success. They said that in other cities in the NBA that, that, that they haven't been able to replace the guy that was winning for them prior to that. So I, I'm not a big believer, and that's the first thing you do. Now, if this continues the entire season at the end of the year, you're not where you want to be or you don't feel like the guys are developing or you feel like he's lost the team then yeah you maybe have to make a move but I think making a move mid-year signals that you're ready to just let go of the rope and I don't think this team is I think the front office is more apt to make a move to try to get some more weapons and as far as the rotations a lot of that has to do with again the age factor with the lack of depth because of the injury to Brandon right and with the emergence of Matt Barnes and you know the decline of Tony Allen Tony Allen's a first team on defender but this year You know, to be quite honest about it, a lot of times he got caught gambling. He got caught trying to get steals that maybe in years past that he did that he wasn't getting to this year. And it was really leaving his teammates in a tough position. And, And because of that, the rotations aren't great. And then you add in not having a guy that can help protect you like that, like Tayshaun Prince used to be able to, and now it's Jeff Green. And it's nothing against Jeff. He's just never been you know, a, a lockdown defender. He's been a scorer his entire life. That's what he's been, an athlete, a guy that can get up and down the floor, get to the rim, knock down an 18-footer, and, and get you 19 points any given night. So, you know, that that changed a little bit. So Dave had to try to go with what worked best and with teams trying to go small against them and maximize the perimeter looks and then try to bring Zach Randolph out and try to bring him out to the perimeter where then if you have a quick stretch for he can either drive to the basket or shoot an open three or you get dribble penetration on a high pick and roll and then everybody's caught in a rotation and that's been what teams have been doing the most so he's trying to find a group out there that will one cut down the dribble penetration two Play on a string together defensively to take away some of the open looks. You're going to find them. Uh, in every given night, you're going to you're going to give up a bunch of open looks because that's the NBA. But you got to find the right guys to give the open looks to. And so that's why he's trying to put guys out there together that will you know become a cohesive unit. And I think he feels like he's found that unit starting you know Conley and Courtney Lee, and then starting in the front court with Barnes and Green and Marcus Saul up front as well. So we'll see he's got a decision to make when Tony Allen's right knee gets better and if he decides that he wants to put Tony back in the starting lineup it'll be interesting to see who he who he takes out because at first it was an adjustment for Courtney Lee when they brought him out of the starting lineup midway through the year and now they've put him back in and he's responded so it, it's tough you know it's 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 a job these guys get paid very very well to do but it's one that it's a lot more difficult than people think because you're not only trying to game plan and scheme and figure out how to beat your opponent. You're also trying to figure out how to keep the 15 egos in your locker room on your
1: side and in check. You talked about Mario Chalmers, a guy who the Grizzlies traded for early in the season and his impact. He was really a catalyst at first. The Grizzlies won the first four games he played, Mm -hmm. so the first seven. But um, recently, the team has settled back into bad habits. What do you think we can expect from Chalmers going forward? And do you believe more personnel changes need to be made?
0: Well, he, he's been terrific. I mean, it's not been Mario Chalmers has not been the problem. He's given the Grizzlies an opportunity to get Mike Conley some extended minutes on the bench if need be, and they played together. Um, you know, he, he's still at times is, is still figuring it out. He's still learning a whole new playbook. You know, it's like asking a quarterback to go midseason and take over another team and and all of a sudden be awesome. And that just doesn't happen. You know, football reference there, as everybody sees, think of all the guys that have taken over in an entirely new system, not a guy that was a backup for the team he's at, but a guy that came in and got a job. It usually ends badly. And the reason is you have to learn a playbook. You've got to learn more guys on your team, like the ball. It's the same thing for a point guard. you got to learn where your scorers want the basketball. you got to learn – where you can probe and penetrate and make things happen on your offensive end, and you've got to learn what you need to do defensively against arguably the best players in the league. The point guard position right now in the NBA is beyond deep. So, uh, you know, for Mario, he's been he's done as good a job as anybody could have expected that way, and he's and he's regularly in double digits now. In, in terms of making another move, that's the sixty four thousand dollars question, as the old game show was. It's that's the one that everybody's trying to figure out. Can you make a move? You have an expiring contract in Jeff Green that uh, is right up around $10 million and could be very valuable to someone in that aspect. You have another expiring contract in Courtney Lee that's $5 million, but if you do a straight-up deal with Courtney, are you going to get the same value in return? Same thing with Tony Allen. Are you going to get a $5 million player in return or $6 million player that's going to give you the same asset? So um, the question becomes – how can you get something back that is of significant value that makes you better with what you have? And arguably your best, your best assets in terms of that are Zach Randolph and, and Jeff Green. And so, um, you know, Chalmers contracts expiring, but low dollar Courtney Lee's contract expiring low dollar, Tony Allen's contract expiring low dollar. This team's not about developing for the future right now. This team's about trying to win with this group that they have, and that's what they need to focus on. So, wouldn't surprise me if a move is made. It just has to be the right move, and and the front office is pretty savvy about what they like to do, and I would not be shocked if we did see another move. The problem being in terms of one of those things that may hold it back is that they don't have a lot of draft picks to work with. Their draft pick for this next year is a conditionally uh, owned draft pick by another team, and so until that goes away, and I think it may go away at the end of this year, you can't trade next year's pick and so no team's really hyped up on hey i gotta get 2019's first round pick so yeah. Yeah. it's just one of those quirky rules and the grizzlies kind of dealt away those draft picks knowing that they were a good team and they were going to be drafted in the mid to late 20s yeah. and at that point you'd rather have a guy now that can help you than somebody you might have to develop down the road
1: as we wind down you mentioned earlier that jeff green's basically been a scorer all his life but the problem is he's not really scoring that much. I think he's been a disappointment offensively. He's not as efficient as the Grizzlies would like, and he's not hitting his outside shots. What do you think the problem is? Is he being underutilized, used in a way he's not com- comfortable with, just not hitting shots, a combination of, of all those maybe?
0: I think it's it's probably fair to say a combination of all. You know, he scored 20 a game in Boston because he was the lone Offensive weapon. He was the offensive weapon. But then they decided they were going to move into a different style. And so, you know, for Jeff, it's, you know, it's a tough situation because he came into a spot where he wasn't the first or second or third. He, he was the fourth option at best. And he had to figure out how to fit in. And then they wanted him to do more. There's nights where he's fantastic and you're just like, hey, do that all the time. But then there's nights where he seems to quickly get disengaged with the game if he's not you know, in a rhythm right away. And that's where he has to be mentally stronger. You know, he's gone through a lot in his life. And for Jeff Green to even be here uh, is pretty remarkable. So, you know, he's got to find how to dig deep and, and and give a little bit more in situations where the things may not be rolling his way. But at other times when he's got it going, the Grizzlies have to find a way to make sure he stays in that groove and get him the basketball. And sometimes that's a problem when you've got so many weapons on your team. You know, you only have one basketball out there.
1: I want to ask you about Brandon Wright. You mentioned that that he's going to be out for six to eight weeks, six to eight more weeks after having surgery. Only has played in seven games this season. He was expected to play a very prominent role on the team. Mm -hmm. How have the Grizzlies adapted without him? And what can they look forward to from um, Brandon Wright when he returns? Well, you
0: got to hope that the surgery goes well. We won't know, you know, six to eight weeks. The surgery was about four or five days ago. So he's got about you know, essentially five to seven more weeks of, of training and rehab. Adapting without him, they've had to do it essentially from the word go. But when they had him in there, um, you know, remember, he, he, he was playing the first seven games when they were really struggling. They went on a long road trip. And that's where the, the knee really kind of took, took a hit because they played at home on opening night. They went to Indiana game two. They came back home, played Brooklyn, um, and they were two and one and went on this five-game road trip. So at the end of that road trip against the Clippers in game number eight, that was where he sat down and, and has not returned. So the adaption game that they they really had to figure out where to go for a backup big. They have Jermichael Green, but he's six nine. He's a stretch four. He's more of a small forward playing in that stretch four role. So their you know high pick and roll changed up quite a bit. So they hope when he comes back he can be the guy that they expected and got at a very good deal that was uh, that was you know six million a year. And that he wanted to be here, and he's one of the best pick-and-roll players in the NBA at that point.
2: And this will be the final question. You spoke about this a little bit earlier, how Vince Carter has made the transition from superstar type of player to really a role player, three-point specialist with the Grizzlies. A lot of the younger players on the Grizzlies also consider him sort of like a mentor or an extension of the coaching Mm -hmm. staff, and can Mm -hmm. you speak a little bit on his impact on this team this season and previous seasons, just briefly, despite his limited playing time this season?
0: Yeah, he'd love to play, but he understands the situation. Uh, He was a big boost in the win against Indiana on uh, Saturday night and hit a three had a dunk where he caught a great feed from Matt Barnes and you still every now and then see those you know those young legs that had the spring in them where he was one of the best high risers that the game's ever seen you know somebody in Detroit earlier this year asked me is he a Hall of Famer and I kind of chuckled and I said absolutely he's over 20,000 points he's an eight-time NBA All-Star a slam dunk champion and you know his teams won his teams in New Jersey won his teams in Toronto were good he changed Basketball by the way he played and just gave basketball in Canada the biggest shot in the arm. Look at the influx of young talent from Canada in the league Tristan Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, you know, Corey Joseph, and, and you know, even more uh, Tyler Ennis. These guys that are all from Canada, Canada's got really good basketball right now. And the reason is that these kids that were 12 and 13 years old when Vince Carter was playing for the Raptors are now 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And it's you know even younger than that. There, that he gave the shot in the arm that that country needed. So, it's been tough because he wants to play, but he's been really good with the young guys. And he's just a class act. He's he's very stoic. He's very quiet until you engage him. And when you do engage Vince Carter, he's probably one of the most humble superstars I've ever been around. He and I, you know, and I I I consider myself so lucky to have the job I have because of incidents like this. He and I have had chances to sit down and talk about things outside of basketball, about being a father that, that you know, isn't near where his child lives. And we both share that, uh, share love of the game of football and, and uh, other sports and things that, uh, you know, that we that we notice that, that, you know, he's closer to my age than he is to a lot of guys in the locker room. Should we have some good conversations? And, you know, this is a guy that at one point was considered one of the top eight, nine players in the world and now he's playing off the bench, and people's like, oh, God, that's got to be terrible for Vince Carter, and I say, why? Yeah, he wants to play, but he knows what's happening, and he's still playing. He's still putting on a jersey. He's still going to practice. He's still competing and still has that, and when he's done, there's no question You know, ESPN or TNT or NBA TV is going to pick him up immediately because he's got great charisma, and he's a really, really well-thought-out speaker, and I hate to say the word well-spoken because – it tends to get overused as you don't expect an athlete to be smart. It's, it's, he's just, he, he grew up in a family of educators. So he, he thinks what, you know, he thinks what he's speaking, he thinks it through. And when it comes to basketball, that knowledge just pours out. And so when he was hurt last year, he did a few games on our television network and, you know, we wanted him to do some radio stuff, but we knew that he's going to go straight to TV. So that, that, that just wasn't going to be anything that, was beneficial for him he needed the experience on tv so we kind of said we understand but I've had conversations with him we do a pre-game interview with our players but we do it in the style of those shows like in your own words where we get to know more about them and my conversations with him just flow you know to the point where we I have to call like time limit on it because we could sit and talk for an hour and that's the kind of guy he is so uh, you know we've been lucky to have Vince Carter we would have loved to have gotten the Vince Carter of you know, three years ago where he was scoring 13 points a game. But if he can come in and help you win three or four games throughout the season, that may be the difference between, you know, seeing the Warriors in the first or second round and seeing somebody else or being at home in the first round or being on the road.
2: Well, Eric, we could probably sit and talk with you for hours too, but we'll have to end it here. It was great speaking with you, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show.
0: Anytime. I appreciate you guys having me. So uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this, and of course, anything for guys from where I cut my teeth at KDVS, I always
1: wanted to do that. So it was fun. Thanks again.